0: You know sleep is important and you just woke up in the middle of the night. What should you do? What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. And today I am joined by world-renowned Dr. Kirk Parsley. This is the guy who makes sure that the Navy SEALs are taking care of themselves, that they're able to get the sleep that they need to recover, to repair from today, to prepare for tomorrow so that they can do all the things that Navy SEALs do. He's retired from his military service, still serves them philanthropically. And when we get into the podcast, the first thing I ask him is who are the people who he's serving now? And that's interesting. You'll hear that he's working with high level executives, people who've got all the money in the world and want to decide what to do with it so that they can live a life that's active and fulfilling. And they come to him for that help. What I think you're going to find even more interesting is the things that we talk about as it pertains to are naps valuable. What do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night? Should your mattress be firm, soft? Should you sleep on your side? What supplements are good to help you sleep better at night? Does blue light really matter? These are the kinds of things that we dove into during the podcast. And I think that if you're somebody who takes your sleep seriously, whether you're sleeping well right now or not, want to sleep better. This is a podcast you're going to want to listen to. It was so good that after the show is over, Dr. Parsley and I discussed it. We're going to do it again and it's going to be a full tactical episode. Just quick hitter questions from you in the audience. So as you're listening to this podcast, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Dr. Sean Pestuch with any questions that you have for Kirk Parsley. The next time that he comes on the active life podcast, which we are already working on getting scheduled. Remember, if you find this podcast valuable, if you learn something today, Share it with a friend. Go ahead, give it a five star rating. Write a review. That is how you help us keep this show viable, so that we can keep bringing great guests like Dr. Kirk Parsley and great information to make your life better every day. Let's get to Dr. Kirk. Dr. Kirk Parsley, welcome to the Active Life Podcast.
1: Hey man, thanks for having me on.
0: It's my pleasure to have you on. Um, you know, somebody as as decorated as you, as accomplished as you, and as intelligent as you to be able to get the time to sit down and talk about all things sleep that are going to help people who we work with and who listen to this podcast to live a more fulfilling, active life. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great privilege and I appreciate it.
1: And like, like I say, I always say, I, I appreciate the platform. It doesn't mean no good to stand on the soapbox if nobody's uh, paying attention. So that's
0: true. Soapboxes. I imagine soapboxes would get slippery if you sit on them long enough too.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and under my weight, they might break anyway, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, you look like you're pretty svelte. I think you're doing all right. <laughs> well, so I'm,
1: I'm, I'm 250. Right. So, <laughs> well, hey,
0: two, two, fifty lean mean fighting machine. I'll take it. Um, so you, you've, you've had a fairly prestigious career, and and what I'm curious to start with is who is the patient that today is coming to Doctor Kirk Parsley for help
1: well um yeah as i'm sure we'll talk about i yeah you know I, I was the physician for the west coast seal team for a long time i still have a lot of those guys as as clients uh, especially once they retire um you know they don't get you know the va medical system isn't <laughs> cutting edge so to speak and so uh, i do a lot of work with you know still with a lot of special forces guys but Uh, You know, my clients, you know, know, and and that's my philanthropic work, you know, um, but the volume of those is is, is exponentially more than my private clients. But my private clients are, you know, uh, 45 to 65-year-old men, usually men, um, traded their health for wealth for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, and then they you know, they had some sort of exit from their company they, uh, they sold their company they stepped down as CEO or whatever, or maybe their brother had a heart attack or, you know, their younger brother had a heart attack or, you know, something like that. And, um, you know, they're either, they're either scared into getting their health back or, you know, they, they have all the luxury of all this money and time now and they, they want to be really healthy so that they can go enjoy it and spend time with their families and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, they they come to me, and it's a to be honest, it's an onerous process to work with me because I want to make sure that you're motivated and you're going to stick with it, and that you don't know, make me look bad by not not uh, you know not doing what we agreed to. Um, and uh, you know, I I, I I you know I, I select out the people uh, that I want to work with every year, and we set annual goals and quarterly goals, and um, you know, try to get people. Um, yeah, anywhere from like a guy who's 30 or 40 pounds overweight to like just being able to be lean and active and do whatever he wants to somebody who's like in pretty good shape or like wants to be competing, compete in something. again as well, um, and then, uh, and then I, I still do a fair, fair amount with, uh, certain municipalities, like some law enforcement and some DOD and DOJ and uh, first responder kind of things as well. But, um, I, the people I spend the most time with are my private clients yeah.
0: so now you mentioned that it's mostly men who are finding you Do the needs of men and the needs of women in terms of uh, their their medical requirements, if you will, do they vary by so much that you are a male specialist or is it just that men are drawn to you
1: um, I, it's a both right so um, you know if if you're going to see a doctor for a medical condition or a medical concern um there's some nuances between men and women, but if you're working with somebody like me, we're talking about performance, right? We're talking about increasing your health span, your strength, your, you know, mobility, your power, your uh, anxiety, stress, cognition, like whatever, like we're trying to make you like a bigger, bigger, better, faster version. Um, And I, you know, I would submit that, you know, special forces and SEALs and guys like that are probably the most performant men in the world. And, um, And they have really... And if they stay in there to retirement, I mean, that's a that's a really long, hard, rigorous career. You know, I mean, it, it's not like it gets easier as you get older. It gets harder as you get older. Um, and so I I think, you know, the SEAL background and, um, you know, I I understand men a lot more. Uh, now, my you know my first year of residency was an OB-GYN. And so I I know how to manage female hormones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not as good as I am with men. Uh, but more importantly is like, as, as a man starts to, you know, the, 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 true benefit of, I, I think of, of any real healthcare provider, I mean, the information is so easy to come by now, but like, if you're, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost like a, I'm almost, I'm almost like a health coach with, a you know, with a medical degree, you know, that I can do other things uh, that a coach can't do, but you know, when, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're working with, uh, someone around performance, the nuances matter more than anything, right? It's like, and, and I can pick up on nuances of men because I'm a man and I've been, you know, I'm 50, I'm almost 53 years old. And so I've been through most of what these guys have been through. And so when they start talking about subtle little changes, I can pick up on that. Or when they start describing something that they can't quite articulate, I can pick up on that. Right. Um, and it's not the same for women, so it's. Just, I'm just not as complete uh, of a package for women, you know. Uh, I, I get it. So, yeah. so I, I use. I mean, I usually pass those on to our mutual friend uh, Gabrielle. Like, yeah, I, I just go, hey, she's really great with women. She does basically what I do. So, like, you know, why don't you go work with her?
0: Yeah, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. That's a good. Uh, yeah. That's a good mutual friend to have right there. Yeah, she's good people. So, you. Met, one of the things I want to ask you about is you mentioned that a lot of the men who come to you are dealing with, they've, they basically traded their health for wealth for let's say 20, 30 years, whatever it is. They've yeah. had some kind of an exit or something happened in their life that, that reminded them like, Oh wow, this is finite. Like this ends. Right. Do you think that, uh, their pursuit of wealth would have been better served if they had also prioritized health at the same time?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Uh, and that's, um, you know, I, I think that society writ large has been sold this, uh, you know, ridiculous bag of assumptions that, um, you know, first that you need to go to college to have a successful career, uh, you know, uh, secondly, that you need to go to the most prestigious college and get the most prestigious job and identify through your profession. I think all that's kind of causes people to, uh, attribute, you know, to spend too much time with it, you know, um, now it's easy for me to say, like, I'm not a, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And so if that's what you wanted to do, uh, you know, there, there's a price for it, right? Uh, you know, like there's a price for everything you do. You can achieve anything you want to, but you know, probably one of the goal, you know, probably one of the prices of becoming a billionaire is that probably have to be a little work obsessive, you know, mm-hmm. um, probably have to be a little, a little, you probably have to be a little unbalanced, uh, you know, to be one of you know, one of the point zero 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 one percent of the world financially, especially if, you know you're you know really doing it all you know doing it from scratch you know kind of, mm-hmm. you know building building something from scratch. So ideally, I like I think you know uh, working with people, and honestly, like I'll say that you know if somebody has uh, enough money to cover their bills and you know and save some money and you know invest some money uh they're just as likely to be happy (laughs) they're just as likely to be just as happy as somebody who's worth 10 million dollars or 100 million dollars or a billion dollars um i i don't see any correlation with it other than probably the more money you have uh the more afraid you are of losing it and and the harder you work to you know to not lose it because it becomes an identity so you know, if, if I, and you know, I have children, I have adult children and my advice to them is, you know, find something that you, that you like to do as much as possible. I don't, I don't really subscribe to the idea that you have to love your job. Like your your job doesn't have to be your passion. Um, but if it allows you to engage in your passion then great, I mean, maybe your passion is jujitsu or maybe your passion is like being, you know, hanging out with your friends or maybe your passion is going hiking with your kids and you know, vacate family vacation and spend the time with your family. Whatever it's like, um, you know. I I think you need to make enough money to support yourself comfortably, fairly comfortably, to to be happy. But um, you know, you don't get the health back. You know, these guys come to me after 30 years of mistreating their body, and they say, "Hey, I, you know, I was a Division One athlete in college. I want to be back there." I'm like, "You know, pump the brakes, Sparky. Like, <laughs> let's, let's let's get you." <laughs> Let's get you fit enough to be able to run around the block without, uh, metabolically damaging yourself, you know, physiologically damaging. experience. Yeah? Um, and you know, and, and there's a, there's a cost to it. It's just like, there's a cost to being a seal. It's a very, very tough job. Uh, and it's, and it's not, it's not something that the human body is really designed to do. And, and seals are broken. Like they come out after 25 years and most of them have had 20 surgeries, you know, and and they've had, they have all kinds of injuries and they've, you know they have brain inflammation. They have uh, you know like all kinds of problems. Uh, so you know there, there's a price there's a price for it. And um, like what I advise my kids to do, like you know find something that you at least like to do. Like don't don't go through life with drudgery. Like find something you like to do. Uh, but you know being a whole person is where is is where it's at in my opinion, right? So mm-hmm. it's like like having having a balance and um ha- you know having a social life and having a a, a private life and having some hobbies and uh, all of that, like you know, the health span. I think the idea of health span is much more attractive than lifespan. Yeah, you know, if you can if you can live at this you know, plateaued level or maybe even be getting slightly better over the course of your life, and then just drop off and drop off the cliff and die. That's so yes. much better than this decaying idea. Yeah. like well, you know, the last ten years of my life, I spent at my house or in a nursing home or something like. Nobody really wants to do that. I mean, that's preferable to death, but it's like, but that's not what anybody's dreaming about for their old age. I mean, you, unless maybe you are, no, you'd I'm be not. the first person I've ever heard that said, yeah, yeah, I really want to, I really want to, you know, sit in a, an activities <laughs> room and watch
0: television. No, for I, yeah. I I I, w- I, w- I would like for the last day that I'm alive to, to have no idea. That it was yeah. going to be the last day I'm alive, and yeah, for I want it old I want age, it, I want it to be an absolute shock, I want right? It to be like,
1: but I was wealthy, and right. bam, you know, like,
0: It was so good right now, um, right? You know,
1: that's that's how I want it to go,
0: right? I'd um, like that to be late in life, I don't want that to be you know next week, yeah,
1: but yeah, 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 I agree. Um, but you know, that, that uh, that, you know, that that's something that I kind of argue, um with people, uh, you know, who are, who are so, uh, so dead set on figuring out cardiovascular disease and like, you like preventing deaths from heart attack. I'm like, yeah, like there's utility to that because actually if you look at, uh, I can't remember if it's after 20 or after 30, I think it's after 30, so 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 60, like every decade, the same number of men die every year of heart attacks. Interesting. Um, in each decade, right. But as you get older, that's just a higher percentage of, right. There's not that many 80 to 90 year olds. So it's a higher percentage, but it's the same total number of people dying in each decade. So, so yeah, preventing that early onset. Like I, I agree with that, but you know, the statistics are 87 and a half percent of us were going to die from heart attack or stroke or cancer. Like, well, if you get rid of heart attack and stroke, that means everybody dies from cancer. I think I'd rather have a heart attack, <laughs> like a fatal one time, like bam, that was it. You know? Like, so yeah, I guess, uh, I guess. Might not be logically sound, but that's, you know, that, that's how I do
0: No, I hear you. I hear you. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that I've considered heart attack versus cancer long enough to, to agree yeah. or disagree.
1: I mean, neither, neither, neither sounds great. Like no. neither, <laughs> no. you know, but, well, uh,
0: well, yep. you, t- you touched on something earlier that I think was really interesting. And I think that you're a great example of it. And that is that right now there's this high pressure to go to, not only to go to college, but to go to the college. Right, and right, right. if I'm not mistaken, you graduated high school, 17 years old, and then went straight to the Navy. And you're, and, you're mistaken. I, okay. I dropped out of high school. Okay. Go Tell me more yeah, about kinda, that, please. Cause I want to hear uh, about where yeah. it started.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I grew up really, uh, you know, what's the politically correct word or indigent. I mean, like I uh, literally only had shoes during the school year um, and uh, you know, and probably the first half of my childhood was that way. And then um, the second half of my childhood, I'd say we were, we were lower middle class, um, but you know, had a very like uh, disturbed and abusive kind of uh, household, you know, with cops at the house, you know, three, four nights a week and, you know, lots of moving out of the house and then one night to go stay with the relatives for three or four days and whatever. And so, um, yeah, just, uh, environmentally, it wasn't the right place for me. I don't, I just never really liked school, uh, to begin with. Um, you know, I have two sons, one of them's like, Mr. Academic, you know, uh, you know, four point eight GPA in high school, went to like kind of had this pick of colleges, did great college and you know, and my other son is just like a big strong dude who just wanted to play football and doesn't care about school. Um, and I was the same way. Like it just wasn't something I was super interested in. Um and then, you know, my life, my home life made it harder. And uh, you know, I started getting I started getting bad grades kind of as soon as the household abuse and turmoil started. So like third grade, I started getting Ds and Fs and uh, kind of got pushed along each year. And then after four years of high school, I had just now earned enough credits to be a sophomore. And uh, I was like, yeah, none of my friends knew, none of my high school friends knew that I that I wasn't like graduate. Like they didn't really notice that I, they didn't have any classes with me because <laughs> I, I was in classes with all the uh, younger kids. And, uh, you know, and and I just like, you know, bailed and went to the military. And I had always planned on going to military anyway. So it, I, I didn't, a GED was just as good for getting into the military as a, as a high school diploma. So I chose that route.
0: So did you get your, did you have to get a college degree before going to medical school while yeah. you were in the military? Is that how you did that?
1: No, no. So I, I did my time in the SEAL teams. I was in there for six years. Um, you know, it was, it was totally stale, uh, timeframe, you know, during the the Clinton administration and, and the early, the early, uh, uh, George, uh, whatever the senior George Bush senior. Uh, so we had the Gulf war, you know, but that was like, you know, six or seven bullets. Um, you know, not, not really any kind of thing. And, uh, and, you know, so it just, it just seemed redundant. Like I was just doing the same training trips over and over again with you know with different guys. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go do something else. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I thought maybe physical therapy school. Um, so uh, you, know, you have to, uh, I don't know if you know this, but well, at least back then you had to have like 2000 volunteer hours just to apply to a PT school. And so I started volunteering at San Diego Sports Medicine Center. Um, they hired me within probably like a week of me volunteering there as a PT aide. Uh, I was there at a time where you could challenge the test for PT assistants. I became a PT assistant, and then I, um, you know, and then I worked there all through college. And but pretty quickly decided I don't want to be a PT. And um, then I had. Uh, you know, I, and I actually had to start in junior college anyway, because I didn't, I didn't qualify for college with, with the GT. I had like, there's some basic stuff I had to do in a junior college first. Um, and so I started working there and decided I didn't want to be a PT, but it's really sort of, you know, this amazing healthcare mecca where we had every profession, you know, we had, you know, we had MDs and DOs, we had chiropractors, we had Massage therapists, we had athletic trainers, we had podiatrists, we you know, like we, like everything you could possibly imagine. We had at that center, and so I you know I got to look around and work with people and chat with people and get to know people. And actually, the doctors there talked to me and applying for medical school, which I just thought was ridiculous. You know, I was like, like, dude, I didn't even graduate high school. I think mean, you're setting your sights a little too high. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the the doctor that owned the clinic came out and said. He overheard the conversation in the hallway, and he came out and said, "Kirk, the question isn't can you get into medical school. The question is, would you go if you got in?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Of course, I'd love to get in." He goes, "Well, you really have to try, don't? Because you? you don't know if you'll get in."
0: That's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, right, I-
1: fair, fair point. So. I have, so you kind of shamed me into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know,
0: I, I had a similar um, inflection point. Mine went a different direction. It was interesting though. Yeah. I, w- I was, I was a personal trainer and a lot of my clients were really high performing doctors, you yeah. know, people who were in one case, a guy who was advising the president on, on drugs. Uh, yeah. In another case, I had one of the top two of actually the top urologists in all of New York state were my clients and when I told them I wanted to go to chiropractic school, they were like, no, we want you to go to medical school. And all you have to do is tell us that you want to go and you're in like, we'll yeah. we'll make the call. And I was like, ah, I, I, I don't know if I'm the kind of student who's going to do medical school. Little did I know uh, chiropractic school, the way I chose to do it was not any easy shakes either. 124 kids started the class 77 graduated, but, um, yeah. But it's interesting that we we had we had a similar experience in some ways in, in that one. Now,
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I got to I got to say I I considered uh, I considered chiropractic um, very seriously as well. Uh, just because like I I you know the only reason the, my only exposure to medicine before I went to medical school was orthopedics and sports medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's all I knew. Like musculoskeletal, and I was always fascinated by that. Um, you know, my whole idea of maybe being a PT was my Uh, the woman who I was dating who would become my wife, I used to take her textbooks on deployment and read her textbooks from PT school. Uh, and I was just fascinated with anatomy and physiology and really just to make myself a better athlete. Like I've always been you know, competitive in some sport or another. And, uh, you know, I, and, and I, and I would have preferred a DO education over an MD education, Mm -hmm. but, um, because of their focus on the musculoskeletal system. Um, but yeah, you know, I was already married, already had kids and the military was going to pay me to go to medical school instead of the other way around. you know, so right. it's hard to, hard to pass that up
0: for sure. Now yeah. h- how did you become so specialized and focused? And I don't want to say specialized cause that minimizes other things that you do. How did you become so renowned for your education on sleep?
1: Well, so, um, you know the, the way the military works you know they'll they'll train you to do anything but then you have to pay them back with time right so it's usually about a two to one if you look at the academies and um the military medical school is the same so uh you know four-year medical education you know you got to be a doctor for them for eight years so i figured i would uh i would get back to the seal teams as a position there and kind of give back to the community you know, get to see my boys and have some fun and, you know, uh, relive what would then be my youth, my glory days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and, and then when I got there, we, they just, they just received the funding to, uh, build our very first rehab facility ever. Right. So people would have thought that, you know, SEALs had all this specialized help and we didn't, we we had nothing, like Mm -hmm. literally nothing. So, uh, we built this facility. There was like a proper rehab on one side, uh, there's some office spaces in the middle. And then we had what we called a bridge gym on the other side. There's people who are past the rehab state, but not ready to go back fully into training with a platoon. So we had athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches and and PTs and so forth, working with them on that side. And then the other side was all, you know, those same people, but also, you know, ortho rounds, pain rounds, neuro, like, you know, whatever, and, and a lot of PT equipment modalities. Um, and so the office space in between, is where I landed because, uh, after we hired, you know, our first nutritionist and first strength and conditioning coach and our first athletic trainer and our first, you know, everything. Um, and we got, we had amazing people. I mean, we got from, you know, we pulled some professional sports teams from the Olympic training center, from, you know, like division one colleges. We, like, we had like creme de la creme. Right. And, um, then I, of course, I was now the dumbest guy around. I mean, I knew, one-tenth of what any of these people knew about what they do. And um, so at that point, they, you know, the military would, would, what do you do when you're the dumbest guy? Well, they put you in charge and they said, well, you're the supervisor. So that was really my job (laughs) was to supervise all of these experts. I'm like, I don't know what, how am I going to supervise them? Like they know more than I do about what they do by a long shot, but okay, I'll figure this out. Um, And what happened was, uh, you know the, the SEAL community is very tight-lipped about certain things, and uh, one of the one of the things they're the most tight-lipped about is their is their own personal circumstances. Um, and so they'll talk to their their buddies about it. They'll talk to other SEALs about it, but um, like they 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 avoid the medical system like the plague, right? Because the worst thing you can do to those guys is put them on the bench, like take them out of their platoon they would literally rather be shot. Like it, um, it, if you gave them an option, like, hey, we're going to torture you every day for the next year or you can get out of here. And they, they take the torture. It's the worst thing in the world for them. So they just go to the doctor and lie. When they have to go to a routine physical, they're just like, everything's great, man. No problem, whatever. They, I mean, they'll they'll get their joints injected with you know, steroids so that they can move better during the, like, whatever. They'll cover it up. Um, but because I'd been a SEAL and I'd been a SEAL recently enough, uh to where there were still a lot of seals there that I I'd, I'd served with um and so they trusted me and um you know w- started with one guy comes in my office closes the door behind him kind of in a hushed voice like hey man i need to talk to you about some stuff and you know it, it became what i called the seal syndrome uh they've done some research and and published it and now they've dubbed it the operator uh syndrome because it's not exclusive to seals obviously um but uh, you know, people would come in and they'd say, "You know, my cognition is just crap. Like I can't, I like I can't remember anything. I can't pay attention. I can't focus. You know, like I, I walk in a room, I can't remember why I'm there. I walk out, I remember why I was there. I walk back in, I forget why I was there again. Like it takes me five times leaving my house before I'm actually on my way to work." because I get in my car and realize I forgot my badge and I go get my badge and I get back in my car. I realize I forgot my lunch. And then I get, and I do this every day. And you know, my, my motivation just sucks. And then, and again, these are by SEAL standards. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Like uh, there's, they're still doing their job. They're still really high performing guys. Uh, but you know, my motivation sucks. My mood sucks. My temper, you know, my, my is all over the place. I go from being really depressed to super angry. And like all the time, I don't know what's going on. My sex drive sucks. My sexual performance might suck. My body composition shifting. I'm working with the nutritionist. I'm working with the trainers. I'm working with the strength and conditioning guys. And I keep getting fatter. I keep getting weaker. I'm losing muscle. I keep getting slower. I have more and more pain, more and more injuries. Um, but none of it reached the level of disease. And that's what I was trained in. Right. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you don't have a disease. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I, I honestly have no idea. I have no idea how to help you. So let's start with me testing everything I can possibly test. And so I just ordered this shotgun, you know, serum level, like go to the hospital, pull these 17 vials of blood, do 98 serum tests. And let me see if I see a pattern. Um and you know, I my my original thought was maybe this is like adrenal fatigue. Well, I didn't think adrenal figure. I I I thought back to, you know, uh what you hear from other wars, you know, there's uh combat fatigue and there's shell shock, you know, and all this. Stuff. I'm like, well, maybe it's some version of that, because this is two thousand nine, so they've been in they've been in combat for eight years already. Maybe it's this is some version of that. I don't know. <clears throat> um, but I knew I needed to get outside of western medicine if i was going to figure it out so you know so i started looking into all sorts of things. you know uh you know chinese medicine and you know uh what is what would they were calling alternative medicine at the time which i think is now more called integrative and functional medicine but the beauty of it was i had this opportunity to um Basically, to call anybody in the world and say, "Hey, I watched your TED talk. I read your book. I saw your lecture. Whatever. I'm the doctor for the West Coast SEAL team. that's wondering if I could come train with you? Can I consult with you? Can I, you mm-hmm. know, talk to clients with you?" Um, and everybody was really gracious, um, and and I got to learn a lot really quickly. And I you know, I, I still didn't have the, I still didn't know that it was sleep, um, as I. Uh, as I said earlier accidentally, uh, I I started thinking, well, maybe this is adrenal fatigue. And I started reading a lot on that, training with some guys on that. And then I uh you know, I was treating that and the military got really, really peeved with me that I was uh, outside of my scope as a physician giving people I V vitamins because I was giving them Myers cocktails and how dare I? Because that's not something that I'm trained to do. I was like, wow. Okay. Uh all right. Uh, shocker there. Uh, and, you know, giving them supplements, adaptogens to help with adrenal recovery. And so like, that was that was all voodoo. And I wasn't allowed to do that. Uh, I'm like, wow. Um, but somewhere along the way, you know, 30, 40 clients entered or something. Uh, some guy and, and I remember it very clearly. I remember the day I was there where I was sitting, where I was wearing everything. And this guy said uh, he, he mentioned something about taking Ambien and it just kind of you know, threw one of those light bulbs off in my head. I was like, yeah, it seems seems kind of common that people are saying that. And so I just remember writing a note in the margin and then continuing with my interview and assessment and all that. And then when he left, I went back through my shadow files and every single guy who had been in my office was taking Ambien.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: I was like, huh, I wonder if that could be related. So I start looking into Ambien. Uh, now, fortunately, as you probably know, uh, when the when pharmaceutical companies apply for a medic you know, for uh, approval of a drug, they give the FDA the research, right? The FDA doesn't do the research. They give them the research and the pharmaceutical company owns the research. So they give them what they want to give. Right. And so (laughs) if it's like, hey, this really supports our case, don't look over here because none of these support our case, but these do. So here, here's the research. Um, But if they get sued, yeah, if it gets pulled into court, well, then then they have to open the kimono and show everything. So that had happened. That had just happened within like six months to a year of me starting this job that had just happened. And so I did learn kind of about, well, there, there are some pretty major side effects to ambient. Now I had been to medical school. I'd never had a single class on sleep. I didn't know anything about sleep any more than anyone else did. Like you could have asked my gardener, you could have asked any seal there. Yeah. You know, like, could have asked the janitor, we would have all known the same about sleep. Like, I didn't know anything about it. So you have to know a little bit of something about sleep to, you know, make a posture as to whether or not Ambien could be causing this, right? Um, and so then once I started learning about sleep and learning what Ambien did, I was like, well, literally every single symptom these guys have could be explained by poor sleep or lack of sleep. hmm now, I didn't think that it would explain everything, but I thought, you know, this has got to be a big chunk of it. So, let's get everybody off of Ambien. Um, and then, of course, they're taking Ambien because they can't sleep. So, I can't just say, quit taking Ambien and sleep anyway, right? So, you know, really, is kind of a group effort between me and the SEALs that I was working with. To, like, And we, like, figured out – I mean, I figured out what to give them, and we figured out kind of, like, how much to give them. And I just – came up i just did a bunch of research i started with like the Cochrane database and then i went like you know slightly more esoteric out um into non-traditional stuff and i just looked for anything that had evidence to help people sleep that was a non-pharmaceutical and i came up with a concoction of like seven different supplements and then the seals were going out and buying all these supplements at you know three or four different health food stores and uh you know some were pills and some were powders and some were liquids and you know, some, some came in 90 day supplies, some were 30, some, and it was just a, it was a pain in the ass for them to deal with. Uh, but we figured out the right dosage and, and it, and it helps people to sleep and it really got them past uh, this hurdle of getting off of Ambien. And once I got them off of Ambien and, and they, you know, and they are usually, you know, the seal mentality of one's good, two's probably better. And three <laughs> might even be a great idea. Cause I am a seal after all. So I probably need more than everybody else. You know, and, and then, you know, have that with a couple of beers or a couple of cocktails, you know, just because you're winded down at the end of your day anyway. So once I learned about the combination of that, like, and what happens when you sleep and why these things could affect sleep, I was like, well, this could explain everything. So I get everybody off of their ambient and, um, and I was doing a little bit of supplementation of like over the counter things like DHEA and like some zinc citrate to prevent, uh, aromatization of testosterone and estrogen, like very simple things that, you know, anybody can do. And, uh, you know, so in combination with that and getting off sleep, I was having people, you know, triple, quadruple their their testosterone, you know, both wow. to, total and free. Um, you know, bringing inflammation. I didn't really get. I didn't explain the you know what I found in the labs, but I basically found all the anabolic markers to be really low, all the catabolic markers to be really high, mm-hmm. inflammation and oxidation up really high. Insulin sensitivity was horrible, considering like how fit, how fit these guys were and what they were eating and how much they exercised you know they weren't they weren't diabetic but man they were looking kind of like they you know their labs looked like that of a 55 60 year old uh, you know metabolic syndrome pre diabetic uh, you know guy you know and who's you know 40 50 pounds weight. and of course they they weren't i mean they were 28 to maybe 38 and they were ripped and muscular and fit and you know um, so anyway uh, they finally I I literally got lapped out of many offices trying to tell the leadership that I thought sleep was causing the hormone deficiencies that we knew were there, right? Um and we knew they were there because I'd pulled the labs and I'd proved that they were there and that you know, we'd had PhDs from the research local research center come over and go over my work and like yeah, I mean you you guys have a problem. And um you know, after getting laughed after lapped out of many offices, I had enough success and then the word of mouth got around that you know i had forty five year old guys getting p r s across mm-hmm. the board i mean not not for their forties but for their life, like right. stronger than they've ever been faster than they've ever been, like performing better in like their preferred sport or or whatever they trained for um and they and you know got some buy in there and then as a as an organization when the seals when the, the SEALs were deploying as, as teams, then like the entire SEAL team, one would deploy and they'd come back and three and then five and like that. Um, and so when they were deploying, we would take them off to an offsite at a you know, local resort and bring their families and talk to them about, Hey, here, here are the trials and tribulations that you and your family are about to go through here, are the resources. Um, and then we'd bring in guest speakers who had, you know, some cachet. uh, so guys like Rob Wolf and John Wellborn and Chris Cresser and, you know, Matt Milan and, you know, people like that would come and lecture on whatever that kind of their expertise was that we thought was applicable to the SEAL teams. And then I, they would always put me up there because I was free. They didn't have to pay for me to be there. So I was always part of the lecture team and I was really the only guy talking about sleep. And so uh, Rob Wolf was the first one I really got to know well. And, uh, you know, he was this nutrition guy who spent about a third of his nutrition lecture talking about sleep. And I was a sleep guy who spent a third of my lecture talking about nutrition. So we just kind of hit it off. Um, and then I saw him at multiple events like this and other guys, and they started you know inviting me to do other lectures like symposiums they were doing and be like, Hey, you know, there's this big event. Like you should come and lecture there mm-hmm. or take me on their podcast or, you know, things like that. Um, And then I just, by default, became the sleep guy. Um, And, you know, I've been kind of beating this drum since 2009 and, you know, really caught some momentum uh, when Matt Walker came out with his book. And now, you know, now social media is full of sleep experts and sleep coaches and everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. spewing the ideas. Uh, And most of it's, you know, the same stuff that I say the same stuff that I know because the research and sleep is really consistent. I mean, there's not, it's not like nutrition. There's not bickering as to whether you you need sleep or not. Um, you know, so,
0: well, that's why I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, all right. I would love to get into some, some really tactical stuff for people who are finding sleep to be something that they a want to improve, B are struggling with and C are stressed over. Right. Right. And so, if it's okay with you, I want to ask you some really stuff that probably for you is fairly boring and tactical and and really like secondhand easy. Uh, But for a lot of people listening is probably the thing that keeps them up at night. No pun intended. Right. 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 So the first question I have for you is tossing and turning, right? So, so tossing and turning is something I think a lot of people experience. And then they wake up in the middle of the night and they don't know how to get themselves back to sleep. When people come to me and they're like, my back hurts what is it? I'm like, I have no, I have so many questions to ask you. Right. Right. But the reason why I wanted to share that part is I imagine that there is a way to get to the ideology of the tossing and the turning and that we can then place meaning to it. And if we can place meaning to it, we can, we can put a, an intervention in place. Is that true or am I mistaken? Yep. So how would somebody go about figuring out why they toss and turn?
1: Okay. So I can, I can break it down into some very simple categories. Now, the overarching truth is that um, they probably have too much stress hormones just because that's the way society is now, right? That's, okay. that's the world we live in. And, and, um, and I can talk, I'll talk specifically about that in a minute. But uh, I kind of break it down to, into a couple of categories. So there's reasons that you move when you sleep uh even if you get a restful night of sleep you still have to move around One is blood flow right you're compressing a certain area that area is not getting blood flow once it doesn't have enough blood flow for long enough you'll start to get an inflammatory response to that that inflammatory response will trigger you to move and then you'll move and get more blood flow all right so um Obviously, how much you weigh, what your body habitus is like, depends a lot on how much blood flow you're going to restrict, but also the surface that you're sleeping on. So you'll move to restore blood flow. Also, a lower body temperature is one of the things that leads to uh, it's one of the sort of physiologic cues and one of the uh, requirements for being able to fall asleep. And so you need to stay, you, you need your body temperature constant needs to stay at a certain point. It needs to be like a little bit low. And so if you start getting too hot anywhere, you'll move to find a cooler place on the bed or a cooler place on your pillow or whatever um, to prevent this heat buildup. And then thirdly, which probably you would see a lot of, I would imagine, um, is, is people who... Um, yeah so and both both of those cases that can be fixed with the mattress right if if uh if you have the right mattress you're much less likely to compress blood flow um but you're also there's also mattresses now that are designed to stay cooler right so you'll you'll move less do you um, recommend those but then the, the, what's that
0: do you recommend those the ones that that cool
1: um well i i recommend them if you need them right okay. like any in, in and, and, and we can talk specifically about like how I would know if somebody needs them. Um, but then the third category is, you know, it, is orthopedic really, right? So it's like your, your mattress is too soft or you like, you have injuries or near injuries or limitations in your mobility to where you're compressing a joint or stressing, stressing a joint in a bad fashion and it's causing pain. And then that pain will cause you to move. Now, that tossing and turning, like I said, happens to everybody. We all go through that. However, if you're in deep enough sleep, yes, I mean, if you're in REM sleep, you're paralyzed, right? So you have to come out of REM sleep to move. But you can go right back into REM sleep if, if you if you have healthy sleep, you know? So it it may not be a big deal. And if you're moving around 20 times a night over the course of eight hours, big deal. Like, that's kind of, you know, that's part of the course. We're expecting that. Um you know, if you're in, if you're in deep sleep, you're not paralyzed. So, it, you know, if you can initiate enough, uh, you know, motor function to move without waking up, you could, you know, you probably will, uh, you will, but um, that's probably not all that common. But the biggest problem is that one of the factors for being, well, especially deep sleep. So deep, when you're in deep sleep, that's the lowest your stress hormones are at any, for any 24 hour period of your life. Right. Uh, that's the most anabolic and the least catabolic whereas fight or flight would be the most catabolic and the least anabolic so they're complete opposites like maximum stress hormones is fight or flight minimum stress hormone is deep sleep so that's when you're repairing and restoring and regenerating your body repairing whatever damage you did making your muscle fibers that you've stressed with exercise you're making them better and stronger like all that stuff's happening in deep sleep so if you're messing with your sleep cycles by truly waking up and not just like waking up enough to move, it's usually because your stress hormones are too high. So you can still fall asleep and you can still maybe maintain sleep. But when you have, when you have enough of an urge to move, when there's uh, when you move that pulls you out of sleep so far that you actually are aware of waking up. Like most of us, wake up to move multiple times a night but we don't have any memory of it we don't know we don't know we were awake well so but if your stress hormones are higher than they should be significantly higher than they should be once you come out of that sleep and now you've done a little bit of restoration you've gotten rid of some of the waste products and stuff uh and you're like a little more metabolically ready to be awake and now your stress hormones are high enough that when you wake up you actually wake up
0: yeah how do we reduce the stress hormones then I'll give you an example. I woke up at one fifteen two two nights ago, AM. Right. And I felt like I was ready to take on the day. And my immediate right. response was, Oh shit. Right. Right. Like I knew I was awake and it wasn't like I was going to be able to fall right back to sleep. And I think the same thing happens perhaps for people who wake up and have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Now they get back in bed right. and they're like, what am I going to, what's, what, what's, what's to do there. Um,
1: okay. So I have, um, I, so I, I have a, I have a a solution for this that I use with my, I use this with my private clients uh, it's very low tech uh, oh, and, and most people hear it and go, that's way too simple. That seems ridiculous. Like there's no way that's going to work, but of all the stuff that I do, all the stuff that I'm super educated on and cutting edge on and all the gadgets and all the things that my clients use, this is the most powerful thing. Getting rid of stress when you're asleep. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to realize, the uh, uh, first little caveat I don't want to mention before, it's like, when you go to sleep, uh, your stress hormones, you know, ideally should be at a certain level, but we have something called sleep pressure. So every cell in our body builds up, you know, uses ATP as their fuel source, right? And then as ATP uh, degrades from try to die to monophyte, eventually it just becomes A, which is the adenosine. And that buildup of adenosine in your brain causes what we call sleep pressure. Sleep pressure isn't all that noticeable uh, on a day-to-day ba- basis, but if you've ever stayed out for like 36 hours in a row or 48 hours in a row, and you realize that you could like lay down in a thorn bush and sleep, and you're really tempted to, that's sleep pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Men have a lot more muscle mass than women and roughly about the same size brain. So men usually have no problem falling asleep even when they're stressed because the sleep pressure is high enough. But as soon as they go through a sleep cycle and start cleaning up, their brain and their and their you know getting rid of metabolic waste products and all that stuff then they wake up now right. the stress hormones are high enough to wake them up so women usually have a hard time falling asleep men usually w- can still fall asleep but after one or two sleep cycles they wake up so that's you know, sleep cycles 90 to 120 minutes. So, if you're waking up two hours after you went to sleep, you probably just finished the sleep cycle. You're going from that sleep cycle to the next sleep cycle, which actually takes you through a millisecond of being awake, and that and you just woke up. Yep. And now your stress hormones are high. And if you've ever been in a fight or flight situation, You know that when your stress hormones are high, you feel really energetic and you feel really alert and you feel really capable and really focused. (laughs) And so if your stress hormones are waking up, you're like, hey, man, I feel great. Like I should go. All right. So if I put you in a completely cold, dark room with no sound and no stimuli whatsoever and just let you sleep, you would still wake up at some point. Right. No noise, sound, light, uh, movement, anything. Nothing woke you up. You just woke up. And why would you wake up? Because your stress hormones are reached a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. And when they reach that certain level, that's awakeness and stress hormones get a bad rap because, uh, you know, the thought of it's negative, but, but stress hormones keep you alert in proportion to your environment. And so the, uh, the minimum alertness is awakeness. And so like just becoming awake is like a minimal level of stress hormones. You need to be awake. And then as your day goes on, you progressively get more, right? So that's important to realize. So if those are too high, all throughout the night, then like your odds of waking up at any time during the night or your odds of just not getting good quality of sleep, they drastically increased. So to get rid of stress, we have to get rid of everything that we stress over. So I tell people, and this is a PDF I have on my website. And uh, depending on how soon this is going to launch, you, you, I can get you in touch with my assistant and you can yeah. put in a note and, you know, a note and show links, or whatever and you a I'll, link in the show notes. I'll ask yeah, her for it. You know it. what yeah. I was trying to say. I'll like, ask I'm, her for it.
0: We we were I, talking I'm yesterday. Like, I was telling her that there's a, there's a fake Dr. Kirk Parsley out there trying to get people to buy crypto yeah. from on Instagram. Yeah,
1: on Instagram. like <laughs> there's, there's always a new fake guy, like every couple of weeks, man. There's, a, there's another fake. Yeah. Um, all right, so, it, yeah, this will be available for download for your audience if they want to just go there and, and click on it. Um, but basically, it goes like this. You take a piece of notebook paper. I highly recommend doing this handwritten. Um, And that's because there's a neural link between what we write and what we remember and what we think about. And so um, you you draw a vertical line down the center of that. And on the left-hand side, you write your to-do list. And on your right-hand side, you write your to-worry list. Now, the to-do list goes out as far into the future as you're likely to worry about what you have to do, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I don't think past the next day. So like, that's all, that's as far as I really need to go. Some people are thinking six months in advance. So whatever it is for you, like your to-do list, anything that you would potentially worry about uh, or anything you'd potentially think about having to do. And you do this during the day. You do this when you're alert and awake and you know, best is to like put it, put it beside you and kind of add things to it all day as, as things occur. So this this is
0: is not a wake up and write this. No, no. Okay.
1: This is before bedtime. You're going to write this. And so you write, everything you have to do on your left-hand side. On the right side is everything you have to worry about. So that's stuff you don't have any control over, but you don't want to forget to worry about it. And your and your brain will wake you up to worry about it, you know, just because that's how we're wired. All right, so now the most important part is, and we, we haven't had a whole lot of time to beat on this drum yet. Um, so I always tell people, go to PubMed, go to Google Scholar, put in sleep and anything you care about. And then read until you're scared and you realize, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to have what I want if I don't sleep. Right. Uh, All the research is very consistent. You don't need me to guide you through it. But so now we make you now the most, here's the most important part. You have to make this neural link. Like you have to make this agreement with yourself mentally that the best you're ever going to be at handling this list is after a good night's sleep. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Your brain restores, repairs, you know, Restores neurotransmitters, get rid of waste products, you know, cuts off useless stuff, uh, makes makes new information that's useful, more durable, but easier to access from multiple dimensions, emotionally categorizes things, like controls your emotionality, controls your appetite, controls your, you know, what we consider our motivation, all of that stuff, all done during sleep. Also, your body is restored during sleep, all your hormones are produced during sleep, all the hormones are balanced during sleep. So the most capable you ever are is probably an hour after you wake up. So you Mm -hmm. wake up, you have some coffee, you get some light in your eyes. And like that, there's your peak. Like you're going to peak from there into wherever you start getting tired in the day. So that's the best you're ever going to be at handling your list. So you have to make this agreement. Why would I think about or worry about anything on this list or even do anything on this list when I'm not at my peak? Right. That These are things that are important to me. They shouldn't be on the list if they aren't important. Um. If these things are important to me, why wouldn't I want to do these at my peak, right? So if you can make that agreement, then the agreement is the only way to be at your peak is to spend eight hours in bed, okay? Eight hours in bed, and that's not an exact number, but that's a good enough number to start with. So you need an alarm clock at night to say it's time to get ready for bed, preferably about an hour before bed. Then you get in bed, and you go to sleep. You lay down with the intention of going to sleep. And if you don't fall asleep right away, you do progressive muscle relaxation, you do some box breathing, you do some meditation, you do like whatever it is that relaxes you and calms you. I even let people, if you you need to, you can start with like a little podcast going or audio book going on the side or something, like anything to kind of distract you from your life, anything that's restful and relaxing, relaxing to you. And then you just lay there and you do that until the alarm and the morning goes off. And those two alarms are equal, right? That, that morning alarm, that's the alarm that means you have to get up and do stuff to be a responsible adult and go do your life. But the one that gets ready for bed, you don't push that one off any more than you push the other one off, right? And so you go, all right, the alarm went off. I'm going to start getting ready for bed. I'm going to decrease the light in my eyes. I'm going to decrease my interaction with society and with the world and my environment. I'm going to, And I'm going to drop my body temperature. I'm going to make my environment cool those that's really all sleep hygiene is those three things. That's a hundred percent of sleep hygiene, but there's a million different ways to do that. And all sorts of little scripts and uh, techniques for that. So you set the alarm, start getting ready for bed. You get in bed, you lay in bed until the morning alarm clock goes off. If you wake up in the middle of the night, if you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, then come back, get in bed and lay there and breathe, relax, meditate again, progressive muscle relaxation, whatever it is you need to do, find three or four ways to really relax yourself if anything in your mind pops up that you want to think about, you go, oh, that's on the list. I'm going to handle that when I wake up. Okay. That's that's when I'm going to do it when I'm at my peak. No sense thinking about it right now. So I don't need a clock, because it doesn't matter what time it is. So never look at the clock. Um, I'm not getting out of bed until that morning alarm clock goes off. So if I wake up and I go to the bathroom and I get back in bed and I start meditating my alarm is not going to go off for four more hours. I'm going to fall back to sleep. I don't know when, but I'm going to, and it doesn't matter when, right? And if my alarm clock goes off 15 minutes later, well, then I got seven hours and 45 minutes of sleep and 15 minutes of meditation. That's still better than seven hours and 45 minutes worth of sleep. So now I'm really, now I'm ready to get up and go through my day. Like I said, if it's not going to go off for multiple hours, I'm going to fall back to sleep. And as long as I'm making it okay that, Hey, I'm in this bed to repair from today and to prepare for tomorrow. And I'm doing that by putting my body in the most restful state I can get it into. And right now the most restful state that I can get into is box breathing. Whatever. I'm going to do that until I can get into more restful state, which is sleep. (laughs) So
0: what what I'm hearing you say is take everything that stresses you out and put it on paper. Well, before you go into bed, do that a peak hour, an hour after you're awake, two hours after you're awake. Now you, now you have the peace of mind that I, I already am aware of this. There's right. no, there's no use in thinking about it right now. Right. And then when you're in bed, have it, giving yourself the grace, if you will, I woke up. So I woke yeah. up. So I woke so, up and then just stay there. And, and I think, cause I think that's interesting because one of the things that I find consistently when I hear people talk about struggling with sleep is I wake up and then I'm stressed that I can't fall back to sleep. And so yep. now I'm in stress about the thing that I'm not doing, that I'm trying to do. <laughs> and it's right. this vicious
1: cycle. Especially if you look at the clock, right? Right, right, right? if you look at the clock, now you start doing mental math about, well, if I can fall asleep in the next 17 minutes, I'll get this much sleep. Right. And then if you keep looking at the clock and you're not back asleep and you're worried, now you're starting to worry about your time and like, oh, shoot. and then you're like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll skip the gym tomorrow. So I'll put my alarm clock, yeah, you know, like a uh, 34 you know, minute, you know, and then maybe, well, maybe I'll skip this. Maybe I'll see it. And now now you're awake, man. Now, right. you know, now you're starting to worry about the consequences of not going back to sleep before you've even given yourself a con- uh, an opportunity to go back to sleep. So, and most people will tell you, wake up, get out of bed, and go into your living room and read a book and do some stretching. I'm like, why? That's more awake and that's not restful. Right. The reason they tell you to get out of bed is because people lay in bed and they stress about not sleeping. And I'm telling you that laying there and meditating and eventually falling back to sleep, is way better for you than getting up and going to do something else and then coming back and still having to go through the process and falling back to sleep. Right.
0: Right. I think yeah. one of you know, for one of the things I've experienced at least is that it's easier to fall asleep in the first place because the bed is cool. And then if I go to the bathroom and I come back, now I'm laying back down in a warm spot and I end up finding myself taking the top, like the, 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 the what do they call it? Duvet. The duvet, duvet. off yeah. and I'm under the top sheet. And then I'm like, all right, I'm cool enough. Now I can put the duvet back on. Now I can fall asleep. Right. That's, yeah. that's something I've, I've run into myself. <laughs> what about naps? Well, better way to ask this question, less specific, more general. I didn't get a good night's sleep and I need right. to be productive today. Like I, right. I, I, sl- right. I woke up at one 15, fell back asleep at four 30. I checked right. the clock. Lesson, Obviously. lesson learned, <laughs> Lesson
1: learned. learn, learn. I can do that again. Um, I have my, I have my clients, by the way, call me and be like, after I've taught him all this, it was like, man, I woke up at 130 and I couldn't fall back asleep till like three. I was
0: like, how do you know? Right, right, right. Like, well, i Some, someone yeah. forgot to take the coaching. Yeah. <laughs> you well, so, yourself, brother. So so I, I will I will heed that advice and not yeah. check the clock. I will do something else and st- I will just close my eyes and box breathe. I like box breathing. Um yeah. For people who don't know what box breathing is, just really quick. It's it's I don't know if it's always four seconds, but I always do four seconds, a four second inhale, a four second hold. A four second exhale, a four second hold on repeat until,
1: and, and, and it just has to be a box. So it's consistent, right?
0: So it could be you know, two if, in if
1: two if two seconds is what your threshold, then you do it for two. You know, if, if you can do it for ten seconds, do it for ten. Like right. whatever it is, like you know. The the, the ben- basically you're you're ba- you're balancing the autonomic. So you're getting rid of the stress response.
0: Yeah, the benefit I find from that is that it's, it's 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 forced meditation. People people who struggle to meditate oftentimes I think don't actually understand what meditation is. If you're if you're right. sitting there focusing on your breath, you're meditating. You're
1: meditating, yeah. right? It's it's okay. I, I'll do you one better. I have you know I, I, my older clients specifically. Most of these are, you know, they're high achieving, very often and very opinionated, uh-huh. <laughs> left, left brain, very uh, logical people. They aren't going to mess around with any of this meditation mumbo jumbo. Like they, like I'm, I'm not going to talk them into any kind of mindfulness stuff. And I, I pick up on that really quickly, and I know that, and I say, hey, all right, for the next, uh, for the next week, what I want you to do is, I want you to do everything that you can possibly do during your day and try to expand throughout the week, but everything you can possibly do throughout each day with your non-dominant hand. So brush your teeth with your left hand, open your car door with your left hand, open every doorknob with your left hand, write with your left hand if you can, like do everything you can do with your left hand for the whole week. And then they come back and i and they tell me and I act really interested and I, <laughs> I listen to their story. And then I say, okay, now for the, for the next week, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to focus on the pressure of your feet so every time you're standing i want you to think is there's the weight of your feet more on the balls of your feet is it more on the heel of your feet is it more kind of the midfoot uh like where like where is it outside inside and then as you walk i want you to think about that too um and uh and even just if your feet are flat on the ground and you're sitting in a chair you know you try to check in on that every now and then too and then at, you know at, at, after i give them several of these things then i tell them okay so all i was doing was mindfulness training right that forces you to think about right now. When I'm thinking about how I open the doorknob with my left hand or brush my teeth with my left hand and like how weird this feels and am I right and all of that stuff. Like I'm thinking about that. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the moment. I'm not thinking about what could possibly go wrong in the future or something that I did regretfully in the past. I'm I'm in the now and that's mindfulness training. And then I say, All right, here you go. You've already done mindfulness training. Now trust me and let's try this next technique. I like that. Yeah.
0: Well, so, so is there a way for a person who now knows I didn't sleep well last night and I have a big day today and I want to be productive.
1: You got to mitigate it, Yeah.
0: Is there anything I can do today to be more productive, even though I screwed up last night?
1: Yeah. So uh, the first thing that I'd say, is, the first thing I'll say here is what I get the most hate for. So let's get out of the way. Um, if you're somebody who really likes to, Train, I, I'll, I'll use the word train uh, just because I think it has a different connotation than exercise, but you may mm-hmm. call it exercising and, and we can distinguish between that. Uh, if you're exercising with the intent of getting better, right, if you're trying to get faster or stronger, improve performance through exercise, add muscle, whatever it is. Your training in my in my mind right but mm-hmm. uh, you can also just be active, active and some people would consider that exercise like taking the stairs instead of the elevator parking you sure. know a mile from your house or a mile from your office building walking a little bit when you're walking whatever mowing your own lawn washing your car, blah blah blah, blah clean your own house like mm-hmm. stay active um that you know and and i'm not calling that exercise but if you don't get it, you know, the contract you're born into is basically it takes eight hours to recover from being awake from 16 hours. And you can't break that contract any more than you can break the contract that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Nobody's getting out of this alive and everybody needs eight hours of sleep. That's just the way it is. Like it, dislike it. I don't really care. Um, so if you choose to sleep six hours, and by the way, we're the only animal on this planet that will choose to sleep less than it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you choose to sleep six hours instead of eight hours, well, it takes eight hours to recover. Right. I only did it for six hours. So how am I going to get through tomorrow? Right. I didn't recover. Like the whole point of me going to sleep tonight is to repair from today and to prepare for tomorrow. And that includes like fixing everything that I broke today, restoring everything I depleted today, and then get, you know, wiring myself, my body, my brain. With the expectation of tomorrow being a lot like today, like how can I be better for tomorrow? And if you think about it, if you could recover 100% every night, you would wake up exactly the same every day, which means you would never age. Mm -hmm. So you're not not only are you losing performance, but you're choosing to age faster. Um, And so, if I need eight hours and I only get six, I have 25% less recovery, less sort of fuel resources to get through the day. I compensate through stress hormones. Stress hormones are catabolic though. So stress now, instead of me going into the day with all of these stores and capabilities from my anabolic restoration during the night, I'm using stress hormones to rob my body, to use my body as a fuel source to get my body through that day. And now if my stress hormones are too high, when I try to go to sleep, you know, then I get worse sleep because Mm. my stress hormones are high. And then because I got bad sleep, now I'm going to have higher stress hormones the next day, and that's a self-propagating spiral. Um, but you know, to get to get back to the question, one of the one of the big problems of not sleeping enough is the excess of stress hormones because those are catabolic, right? So anything you can do to reduce those are beneficial, right? So meditation, box breathing, activity, not strenuous activity. I tell people don't work out if you didn't get a good night's sleep. Do not go train. Because you didn't recover from yesterday, it does you no good to train today. You're just gonna that's gonna leave you more to recover from tonight, and even so, now even if you get eight hours, that wasn't enough because you had a day and a quarter worth of recovery, and you only got one day worth of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't work out. Stay active though, because activity has lots of benefits metabolically. Um, that's uh, days when you're sleep deprived are days to have to be really well focused like to really focus on your nutrition, right? Um, Obviously focusing on your your nutrition all the time is ideal. Nobody lives ideally, Um, but really, really focus and say, no kidding. Like today I need this Uh, today. I need to make sure that I'm putting the least amount of stress on my body as possible. So I'm going to lower my stress hormones during, during the day, any way that I know how, Yoga, meditation, box breathing, tai chi, breath walk, breath work, whatever it is that you do, massage, body work, I don't care. Like anything that lowers your stress hormones, you do that during the day. Naps, which you were going to allude to, uh, or what you were going to say, I think. Um, naps are great. A short nap restores creativity. A medium nap restores creativity and cognitive functioning. And a long, a long nap, so like something around 90 minutes, the full sleep cycle, so you get recovery, you know, metabolic recovery, physiologic recovery as well. So you you know, you can be stronger and faster and more resilient and all that type of stuff. Um, As long as your nap isn't, as long as you wake up from your nap, no closer than three hours to your bedtime, naps don't interfere with sleep. Um, And then of course uh, you know, stimulants, stimulants work. Um, I'd be careful with using stimulants too late in the day. So like if you drink coffee, I usually recommend don't drink coffee after noon. Um, uh, nicotine actually is, is a good stimulant. It's, um, you know, it's addictive if you inhale it, it's not addictive. If you uh, use the gum or the mint or something, you know, to, and you, you know, it just goes to like between your cheek and gum and you, you know, about a milligram. Um, and then uh, acetylcholine is a supplement that you can take uh, that kind of, is weight promoting. It's one of the weight promoting neurotransmitters, um, make you feel better throughout the day. And then, um, if you know that you're really having a hard time controlling your stress, especially if you're exercising, uh, there's a supplement called phosphatidylserine and phosphatidylserine will lower cortisol levels as well. So again, you're just mitigating. Um, obviously you also, you also want to do the same thing you should do it every morning or I'm not shooting on you, but, um, you know, the ideal thing to do every morning uh, is, you know, to get outside or you can't get outside uh, if it's gloomy or cloudy or too cold or whatever, um, you know, some sort of bright light therapy, um, you know, about, you know, 10 to 20 minutes of bright light, ideally sunlight, low in the sky, early in the day, that helps reset your circadian rhythm and make sure that you're going to sleep better that night. It also changes a lot of physiology and it's going to make you better, stronger throughout the day.
0: I was smiling. Um, I was smiling when you said uh, I'm not shooting. I'm not shooting all over you because we just did a podcast talking about how to avoid shitting all over yourself.
1: Oh, okay. go. so, yeah.
0: so I, I, I know we have limited time left, and you just started talking about supplementations, and I want to talk about yours because yeah. there's a, you know, my wife, my parents, my friends. Oh, what should I take to go to sleep? I'm like, Why are you asking me? I was a chiropractor who now runs a business that helps people get out of pain and live more active lives from around the world. Like right. I, I'm not, I'm not the guy to ask, and so. Um, you created sleep remedy. I imagine that is the concoction that you used to help the seals get off of ambient. is that would I be correct in yeah, assuming that?
1: yeah, so um, it was actually after I got out of the seal team, so you know one of one of the one of the problems of uh me getting out of the military was that you know I was leaving a vacuum in the in the seal teams, right because uh, I, I'd, I'd come there and kind of identified these problems and were helping people improve their performance. And, you know, a lot of research uh, was born out of that. And, and they've gotten a lot smarter all about, uh, about that over the last, you know, whatever it's been 13 or 14 years. Um, well now I guess I got out and yeah, it's been 10 years since I've got out since I got out, but I got out and I left this, you know, this vacuum. Um, and you know, they're just going to replace me with some Joe Blow doctors who's waiting to go back into his residency and you know uh the seals probably aren't going to trust him and aren't going to talk to him about the same things and he doesn't know uh the community that well and he's just going to be a doctor and like all that you know all that progress that we made is going to kind of come to a screeching halt so um you know i i started and that's why i do the philanthropic works that i do now because i just started seeing guys i, I just started telling guys well you know just text me call me like i'll like, I'll still give you advice. I'll, if I'm prescribing anything, like I'll still do that, like, you know, whatever, like I'm, I'm still here for you guys. So, uh, so that continues to this day. But, um, you know, about a year after I got out they I mean, they were just really haranguing me about this product. Right. Cause they were like, this is such a pain in the ass. Like we have to go buy all this stuff all over the place and it's too much to travel with. And, you know, and, and you know, you can't always get the brand that, you know, and some of the brands are completely ineffective as you know, right. You know, yep. probably 50% of them are crushed bird feathers. You know, there's no, <laughs> no nutrition and value to them at all. Uh, and so I naively thought, well, okay, I'll just, st- I'll step out of my brick and mortar. I'll just do my consulting practice and uh, I'll start, I'll develop this supplement and then I'll, just sell that to the seal teams, you know for like a very very modest uh cash flow for me, like I don't really it's not it's not what I do mm-hmm. <clears throat> this isn't this isn't what I want to do for a career. I don't want to be a supplement salesman, so I got out, you know when I, when I was out I was like all right well, I'm gonna learn how to build a supplement and like then i anyway, i I had no idea, I had no idea how a supplement was made, and that first thing I tried to do is like talk to other supplement companies and if you know anything about the supplement industry, it's pretty smarmy, you know, and mm-hmm. so uh, there are a lot of guys who are really willing to take full uh, uh, advantage of me and, and then want to have complete control over what they're actually going to make and how they're going to promote it and all this other stuff. And I'm like, ah, eh, I'm not sure that's the best plan. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to bite the bullet and learn how to do all this. And so I learned how to produce supplements. And, um, and then... Uh, you know, Rob Wolf got involved, and Peter Tia got involved, and they're like, you know, they're they're my friends. i was talking to them, and they're like, hey, let you know, let's put some money into this and make it a business, and I'm like really launch it. And so I had a client who at the time who was uh, who owned a, a digital marketing agency, and we swapped services a bit, and like he he taught me how to build this thing. And again, my plan was really then at that point it was like, okay, well I'm going to build it up, I'm going to get it off the ground in a year, and then we're going to hand it over to the CEO, and that person's going to. Take it to the moon, and we're going to sell it. We're all going to take money back. So that's our life. Um, and uh, you know, so we launched it at Paleo FX, and um, within I, I don't know with whatever that is, three or four day event. By the time that event was over, we were already in the black yeah, for the company, right? Like for for our initial investment. Um, and so, you know, shortly thereafter, like I give everybody their investment cash back, and now we just all basically have a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there was always something to do that, like that, I needed to get well to this next step before it really makes sense to bring somebody in. And then there's ups and downs, and you lose some. Tr- so whatever. Eight years later, I'm still I'm still running the damn company and still just doing private consulting. You don't have a brick and mortar yet mm-hmm. again, and I probably and I probably never will have a brick and mortar again at this point. You know, uh, but yeah, that that's how it came about. And then you know, there's no tricks in it. there's no. You know, pharmaceutical doll a trick, right? So, one of the important things when when your brain's getting ready to go to sleep is a buildup of a neuropeptide called GABA, sensory gamma butyric acid, if anybody cares. And it kind of slows down the the neocortex, right? So, the motor cortex and sensory cortex, so that you quit interacting with the world. That's one of the requirements to be asleep. Um, You know, your eyes and ears and mouth and like everything still works. You just aren't paying attention to it. And then your motor's, you know, your motor functions retarded too, so that you don't, you don't move around. You're not interacting with the world, and that's one of the prerequisites for falling asleep. Um, so the pharmaceutical industry's idea about that is like, well, if GABA binds to this receptor and has a GABA effect, it will call a GABA effect of one. Well, we can build this other molecule that binds to that receptor and has an effect of ten, right? And so now, uh, like, I'm going to force you into there, and then. You know that was benzodiazepines, and then uh, those proved to uh, be problematic for multiple reasons. So they developed a new drug, a Z drug, which is like Ambien and Lunesta, and that binds to the GABA receptor and has an effect of a hundred. So like now we're really shutting your brain down. Um, and so that's the pharmaceutical way of like, of dealing with things like insomnia. I think that's foolish because GABA is like one of a thousand things that's involved. Right. And so like, it, it, it's just a pharmacological trick. And, and the research shows that it doesn't really lead to sleep. It leads to unconsciousness, which isn't sleep. Uh, so you don't get the regenerative benefit. So all my sleep supplement is, is putting all the nutrients in your brain that should be there in the first place and should be there in higher concentrations as your brain, is, you know, going through the processes of going to bed. I do have melatonin in there, but it's just, it's such a small dose. It's meant to be an initiation dose because I want you to make your own melatonin because that's part of staying asleep mm-hmm. to be able to regulate that. So I have like two micrograms of, of melatonin and there's just the initiation a dusting of it. And then the melatonin production pathway, which is tryptophan, becomes five hydroxy tryptophan. And then with the help of magnesium and vitamin D3, that becomes serotonin. Serotonin becomes melatonin, some GABA in there to help. You know, slow your brain down. Some phosphatidylserine in there to decrease your, um, you know, decrease your stress hormones, your cortisol levels. Uh, some L-theanine because that that's an amino acid that potentiates the effect of GABA. Um, and that's it. Now I'm just bringing construction to the. I'm bringing lumber to the construction site, right? Like I'm not I'm not building anything. Like you still have to do the right things to get ready mm-hmm. for bed. You still have to be healthy. You still have to have good sleep hygiene and all that other stuff. So, um, it's just, it's really like an insurance policy to make sure that everything's there. Um, and when you sort of hyper concentrate that, like if, if you look at our ancestors, the way we evolved, um, it takes about three hours after the sun goes down to really feel like going to sleep and nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna spend three hours getting ready for bed in modern times so like it, it the physiologic trick of it really is to just kind of get a lot more of all of this stuff into your brain that would have been there had you spent three hours getting ready for bed instead of 30 minutes or an hour getting ready for bed um and then uh you know it, it, it improves your ability to fall asleep and then improves your ability to stay asleep and then improves the you know the quality of your sleep throughout the night so um but that's it it's, i mean it's all nutritional it's all nutritional supplements it's all like in the truest sense you know, I tell people there's an ideal way to live, and then there's reality,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and between those two points, we supplement, right? Supplemental behaviors, supplemental compounds, right? Like gadgets to help us meditate, or blue blocking glasses to get the light out of our eyes, or you know, whatever right? naps to mitigate, like whatever. You like you you you're, you're, you're that supplemental activity. The the ideal is to live ideally so that you don't need supplements, that that's not reality. <laughs> so, and, and I imagine, so, we, so we have supplements.
0: I imagine there's no risk of taking an exogenous product that's going to reduce our own production of those same things if we right. stop taking it.
1: Right. Uh, right. Um, so that, that's another reason that I'm really light on the melatonin is melatonin is a hormone, mm-hmm. Um And I, so I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen any research about vitamin D3 because vitamin D3 is a hormone as well. Right. Um, and, um, exogenous vitamin D3 may well decrease your, your own production. If you, you know, when you're out in appropriate sunlight with enough skin exposed, like that might decrease your production. I've, I've never thought of that until right now and I don't know why, uh, but melatonin really hard to study when we're talking about the brain, obviously, you know, a third of your uh, nervous system isn't in your skull, right? It's right. throughout your body. So all of this stuff works throughout your entire body. Uh, but when you're talking about what's inside of your brain, it's really hard to figure that out, right? Like I kind of have to drill a hole in your head and um,
0: yeah, you skip know, that.
1: Pull, pull some fluid out to figure out how, what your melatonin levels are. So, uh, of course, we do that in mice and stuff and instead of doing it in humans. So we do have some idea. Uh, but melatonin being a hormone, Um, so far, there's no research to show that it decreases your melatonin production. But again, that's really, really hard to quantify that. It's really hard to know that for sure. But there is plenty of research that shows that taking more melatonin than you need to take or taking like a big bolus of melatonin, um, meaning just like a a larger, like maybe it's how much you need over the course of your night of sleep, but you're taking it all at once, which still does drive blood concentration up. Uh, eight times, right? Because it's like, it's all in there now. What you needed over eight hours is all there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know that that does downregulate melatonin receptors. And so if, if you need, uh, you know, if every cell needs 10 melatonin receptors to do its job and you have 10 times the amount of melatonin in your bloodstream that you need, well, then your brain smartness will be like, well, let's quit using all of our, mm-hmm protein or amino acids and stuff to build these receptors we don't need to build those we only need one instead of 10 and now when you quit taking exogenous melatonin you're screwed now because now your normal production is one-tenth of what you need so now you're deficient right um and and i think it probably does decrease how much you take too but i can or i do i think it probably does decrease how much you melatonin you make too but I, I don't know that for sure. Like, I don't, I don't know that anyone's demonstrated. That. Well,
0: and that's why that's the one thing that you have in such a small dose in the, in the supplement. Right.
1: Right. Dr. Um, go Good. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say you need, you need probably somewhere around six to eight micrograms throughout the whole night. So I'm giving you two micrograms, not all of that's going to get to your brain. So maybe you're getting one microgram. So again, it's like, it's like an initiation dose probably would, about what would, would have been there. If you lived like your ancestors and spent three hours getting ready for bed.
0: Right. Dr. Parsley, Thank you for coming on and speaking with me today. I appreciate it very much.
1: I appreciate the opportunity, buddy.
0: My pleasure. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Live Podcast. Please remember, give us a hand, rate it, review it, wherever you listen to shows. We are on a mission to humanize the healthcare industry by professionalizing the fitness industry to empower the individual to live a life unlimited by the way that their body looks, feels, or performs. If you are inspired by that mission and want to jump on the wagon, find us anywhere. Active Life Professional on Instagram, Active Life Rx on Instagram. Come to me personally at Dr. Sean Pastuch. We want to welcome you onto the train. We want you to be a part of the mission. We want to offer you the opportunity to pursue this right alongside us. We're inspired by your effort and we hope to help you in your journey. Turn pro.